morning, I have uh, one last lesson in James, and then we can move on to another complete lesson for pastoral epistles. Okay, so let's go over a little quick review. Uh, maybe next week we might have a small quiz just to see how well we did on Hebrews and James. And we'll go from there. Is that why you dropped out, brother? Don't worry. It don't matter if you drop out before God. God knows everything, brother. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Not to me, brother. Not to me. Not to the teacher. To God. You can't hide. The Bible says, His eyes searching to... Uh, what does it say? Uh... Fro, no. To and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those. And I forgot the rest of the verse. Something about that. <laughs> okay. Something like that. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that eventually. That's an axe, I believe. Okay. So last week we've uh, last couple weeks we've talked about um, the book of James. We talked about the tongue. And now I need to find my notes. And there we go. Make sure I got these. And we know who we have three different types of James in the Bible. We know that James was written by who? Which who is it written by? James written by who? James, okay. When you say Jaime, so you say it in Spanish. Santiago is James. Interesting. Didn't know that. Okay. And we know there's three different types. There's James, the son of thunder, or the son of Zebedee. There is James, the son of Alphys. James, also James the less. And there's James the just. Which one? You might learn something today, so pay attention, sweetheart. James, the son of Zebedee, son of thunder. James, the son of Alphys, and James, the just. Those are the three. Which one do you think? You don't know? All right. What do you think, Don? Right. James, the just. Thank you. That is correct. We know some things about James, the just. He was Jesus' brother, like Don said. Um, something special about him also is that he was the a pastor, one of the pastors, at the church in Jerusalem. Okay? Alright? Uh, it's funny, I don't know how much Oscar gets through the translation, so if you hear something new, just tell me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Alright? And we also know that James, one of the things about James is he did not believe Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. Okay. Uh, the date that James was written. Anybody know? What date? I'll give you a multiple choice. Letter A. 70 A.D. Nope. 70 A.D., 
70 AD. B, 70 AD. A. Okay, that was A. B would be 50 AD. Or C, 45 A.D. It is correct. C, it is correct. 45 A.D. It was one of the very earliest books written to the church. We know that for a couple reasons. They called their church leaders blank and blank, not bishops and deacons. Churches, church leaders were called Blank and blank, not bishops and deacons. What were those two words? Did you get it? I'll try it again. What'd she say? No. They called their their bishops and deacons blank and blank. Teachers is one of them. You may know the other one. No. It might be a different word in Spanish. Of course, it's a different word in Spanish. But it has to do with older. She is correct. Elders and teachers is what they called their bishops and deacons. They also referred to their meeting place, not as the church, but as the... This was the Jewish, this is what the Jews called their meeting place. Nope, not the temple. You're thinking more Old Testament, I'm talking more New Testament. What's that? That's still Old Testament. Starts with an S. Thank you. Synagogue is correct. Synagogue. That was the one you was going to say? All right. So we know the theme of James is that he was a mature, morning brother Juan. He, the theme of James was mature Christian. And we found some things that's very interesting about the book of James. And that is that he talked about the teachings of Christ compared to the Sermon on the Mount, to some of his teachings. He talked about character and reputation. Character and reputation. Okay. And I went through a list of those. He's warned against judging. Warnings against judging. And deals with wrong use of wealth. All right. He talked also about the illustrative speaking of Christ. Can somebody tell me in the book of James of an illustrative, um, uh, let's see here. He uses this as an illustration. One illustration he used to compare what he was trying to teach. You know? The il- he used illustrations to teach what he was saying. Okay, In the book of James, he used illustrations. 
give me one illustration that he used. I gave you a list of those illustrations. Yes. I'm talking about James, not Jesus. That's not the illustration. That's not an illustration. That's just teaching. He used an object. Like I would say, this, this, This just is a plastic outside. I can't eat it, right? But if you really get into God's word, you'll find it something sweet inside. Okay? That's a dumb illustration, but it really, I'm using that as to illustrate what James did. Yes, Stephanie. Thank you. That's exactly right. See, I have somebody listening here. The rudder on the ship is like the tongue, right? This little teeny tiny rudder moves this huge ship. And so is the tongue. The tongue can be able to uh, say something and it can change the whole course of nature. Okay? You can have, uh, and I illustrated that last week, with you can say something, (laughs) uh, what's his name? Uh, Things you don't say to your wife, Tim Hawkins. One of those is, honey, did you put some weight on your rear end? Okay? Don't ever say that to your wife. Or you don't buy a treadmill for your wife for Christmas, okay? You don't do those things. Why? Because if you say those things, you're going to get in trouble, okay? And in the same sense, your tongue can be a world of iniquity. It can be something that completely changed the entire relationship with someone just by saying a few words, okay? Anybody else have an illustration that James spoke of that used it for teaching? Yes, thank you. Very good. Bro, Lewis, come on now, man. She, you told her, right? Did you tell her? Oh, he told Oh, okay. All right. All right. I'm not going to even go there, brother. I'm not going to even go there. All right. So here we go. We got this uh, uh, bit in the horse's mouth and explained how that they can move this whole big horse. Yes. Okay, that is another illustration, okay? The mirror, when a man comes before the mirror, it's like the law. And the law, if you stand before the mirror, and I've given this illustration a zillion times. Okay, uh, you stand before the mirror and your hair's messed up and your tie's unstraightened for your ladies. Maybe you got uh, mascara in the wrong spot. Maybe men too, I don't know. Oscar, you put mascara on? Yes, Alright, so anyway, you get in the front of the mirror and you see yourself the way it is. If you walk away, you didn't change it. You just like the people that read God's Word and see God's Word, and they know that they need to change, but they won't, because why? Because of their pride. They're too good. You know, I, I don't need to do that. Alright. Alright, I'll give you some other ones. Winds tossed waves, withering grass, fading flower. Burning heat of the sun. Oh, I'm sorry. And here's a couple that you give. Bits in the horse's mouth. 
Sowing and reaping. Labor and wages. And drought. Okay. He devotes... He devotes many of his word, his verses to speech. There's quite a few words that he uses. Ask. Say. Speak. Tongue. Word. Mouth. Laughter. Howl. Crieth. Swear. Sing. Pray. These are all words that deal with your verses speech. Now... We know something that I didn't add this to you. When James was, this was written in 45 A.D. James was martyred in 62 A.D. And then you know where it was written from? Yes, when he was martyred. Do you want to know where James was written from? Take a wild guess. If James was this pastor, was a pastor of this church, where do you think he wrote it from? Thank you, Jerusalem. That is correct. See? Helps to think through it. All right. So we went through characteristics of Christian maturity. I talked about suffering. And we talked about two different things. Trials and temptations. Okay? Are trials and temptations the same? Trials and temptations, are they the same? No, they're not. Okay? And why is that? Support your answer. Thank you. So the biggest difference between a trial and a temptation, God will never tempt you. Temptation is always a connotation to do evil. Trials, on the other hand, is something that God will put you through to purge you. To put you through something so that you can come out better on the end. And that's, I think, what James tried to get through here. Um, he gave also the illustration that we find that once we've gone through trials, what do we find? Patience. Okay? When you first get saved and you develop a relationship with Jesus Christ... You're going to ask Christ for things. You're going to ask God to help you with things. And what happens is, is there's going to be a coming point in time where you're going to ask God something and you won't get an immediate answer. You're going to say, wow, what did I do with my life? I, why am I submitting myself to Jesus Christ when he won't answer my prayer? And a young Christian will say that. They'll say, hey, why am I doing this? But the more that you put your faith and trust in Christ, realizing faith and trust in Christ, you will find that God will answer your prayer, just not on your time. When you ask God for something, there's going to come a time when he's going to say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to put him through this trial. We think about Mrs. Zadarsky. Some of us might ask, why would God give Mrs. Zadarsky cancer twice? Why would it come back? God wants us to get us closer to Him. And we hope and pray that Mrs. Zadarsky 
will heal. Uh, Diane will heal. But we have to trust God first. And He puts us through trials to get us closer to Him. What happens when we go through a trial? I don't know if anybody's been in here a trial lately. Some of you have, maybe. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's a hardship you have to deal with. But what happens when you're put through a trial? You automatically have to do what? You can have one of two options. You can either say, I'm going to do this on my own, or I'm going to trust in Christ. So when you put, do it on your own, you're definitely walking further away from God. And the problem that became something that you had, that Christ allowed to be put in your life, becomes bigger or worse. On the other hand, if you put your faith in Christ, Christ is going to be able to answer that prayer one way or another. And as Pastor has been speaking about recently, is this idea of peace. You can be able to have peace in the midst of some of the worst situations, the worst problems. Why? Because Christ answers the problem. Why do we go through trials? As Christ wants us to learn patience. We also found out about being studious, being sincere, learned about service, and lastly, we talked about sound speech. And uh, we talked about the problems of the tongue. I talked about the idea of lying. And I gave some of the uh, some of the things that associate with lying. I also talked about complaining. We have the purity of the tongue. And now we're going to go through the last five. So we're going to go through the last five uh, points of this, and this is going to be important. Don't 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 lose me here, folks. All right, we're going to talk about the purity of the tongue, the purity of the tongue. Number one is an urgent thing to work on problems of the tongue. The Bible says, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what speaketh." Right? Oh my goodness. Maybe I need to get some yelling going on. Get some of you people woke up. Brother Oscar, you okay? You look tired, man. You didn't get no sleep last night? Miss Raina, just slap him. He's out of it. Maybe he should do some translating. Get that brain working, okay? All right. What do you think, Brother Lewis? You awake? I had crying babies last night. They were sick. So I'm still trying to wake up a little bit. So if I'm a little bit off, please forgive me. All right, so we talked about the purity of the tongue. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. When we say things, and I remember at one time when I was a teenager, when I had this uh, quote-unquote friend that I was playing basketball with. And this is when we lived in Michigan. And he was, we were playing basketball, and he was getting, we were getting the best of him. And uh, we were playing him. It was two-on-two. Two, and he opened up his mouth. And he cursed. Now, this young man, he was a Christian. I say that with quotation marks because I don't know if he was or not. 
by the evidences of his life today, I probably would doubt that. Uh, he was a pastor's son. And we all kind of went, got taken aback about what he said. And when we, took, we brought that to his father, your son just cursed on the basketball court. And he said, oh, it was an accident. It just slipped out. How many think it just slipped out? I don't think it just slipped out. I think he'd been thinking and saying those words already. It's funny, when I was talking to the guys at uh, the dealership, they would always ask me, they always would try to trick me into saying that I said a cuss word. And they would say, Harold, Harold, you're going to say a cuss word someday. And I said, no, I'm not. And they said, why not? I said, well, because one reason. I don't think about cuss words and I don't say cuss words. They're not a part of my reputation. I do not allow for people to cuss in front of me. Why? Because I don't want them to have uh, bring that to my thought patterns all the time. There was one time when I worked on a dock. And there was this phrase that one of them used to say. And it was a catchy phrase, but it had a cuss word in it. And I remember, because I did not say something to this person, he would say it over and over and over again. And before long, you know what would happen? That phrase would get stuck in my head. Now, if I were to say this phrase to you right now, some of you might even not think it's that big of a deal. But it was a cuss word. And I thought, oh man, I can't say this. Why is this getting stuck in my brain? And it's because I didn't, wasn't allowing myself to deal with my heart. I wasn't telling my heart, no, you can't listen to this. You can't say this. You need to rebuke the person that is saying it. And next time I saw that person and they said that thing, I told them, I said, don't say that anymore around me. If you feel like you need to say it somewhere else, that's fine. But please do not curse in front of me. Why? Because I had to deal with something in the heart. When you have a problem with gossip, when you have a problem with, uh, maybe it is cussing or cursing. Maybe it is something of that nature. If you have a problem with saying God's name in vain, what is, what is the problem? It's a problem of the heart. Your heart can deceive you so quickly. You have to deal with the things, the problems of the tongue. Not only is it a heart problem, but it's a spiritual problem. You have a child that cannot get along with their sibling, and they're always just tearing the other person down. You know why they're doing that? Is because they have no walk with God. They cannot be able to um, endure the temptation that Satan comes along and says, Hey, you should say this to them. Hey, you should say that to them. And when you say, Oh, well, you know, they're just siblings, right? I tell my, Chloe knows, I tell my girls, you should not say hateful things. The other day, one of them said something to the other one. And I looked and I said, what did you just say? You said what? Now, she didn't curse. But the thing that she said just made me my uh, skin crawl because it was so hateful. When we deal with other Christians, what does our speech says? What's the verse that says our speech should be seasoned with? Grace. 
When, our, when all our mouth can do is tear other person, people down, listen to me. You're never going to be an encouragement to your Christian brother or sister in Christ. There's going to be times when people are going to say things to you. And I've, I've, I've endured this. That are going to say things to you. They're going to be hateful. They're going to be mean. They're going to say things that just really just make you want to just yell back at them. But how do you deal with that? Do you yell back? Do you scream back? Do you use your flesh to battle that person's speech? Or do you use your mouth to say, I cannot say the things that I want to say? How many ever heard the phrase, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind? How many ever heard that? I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Listen to me. We can't. Why? Because our heart is what? Is deceitful. You can't give them a piece of your mind. You know what you can give them though, right, Steph? Baseball bat. <laughs> you can give them a piece of Jesus' mind. Okay? Right. The perfect illustration went on street preaching. How many times did someone say something nasty to you? Should you just scream back at them, yell back at them? Or instead, should you give them what Christ has already given you? Show them what Christ has said. Use the Scripture. What did Jesus do when he encountered Satan? And Satan was trying to tempt him with his words. What did, Satan, what did Jesus do? He what? Yes, he used the Scripture, did he not? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And we as Christians should be no different, right? Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was very what? He was very open with what he had to say. But you know what? He could have very easily used his mouth in spite of those Pharisees. Got it? But instead, what did he do? He made them think. He used what heavenly heavenly understanding that he had. He used his spiritual understanding to make those Pharisees and Sadducees think through what they were saying and what they were doing. So we're going to go through, we went through the purity of the tongue. Now we're going to talk about, ooh, some circles, this is a horrible word. You ready? Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We find in James chapter 4, one of the verses about, ready for this, Brother Oscar? A really famous verse about this, James chapter 4 and verse 7. Someone read that out loud for me. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Nobody want to read that out loud for me? Anybody got it no by not by heart? Come on, Oscar. What does James 4, 7 say? No, 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 I can't read it. Can't read it. You just got to quote it to me, brother. Submit yourselves, therefore, don't forget the word, therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. All right? So this point is going to be about what? Submission. Submission. And we find, and we're going to read James 1, 
4, chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to read in verse 1. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not even of your lusts that were of your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war and ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye what? Ask amiss that ye have may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity of God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit dwelleth in us, lusteth to envy? Verse 5, I mean verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, what does it say? And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, purify your hearts, what? Ye double-minded. It says, be afflicted, be and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall... Lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a what? A judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now that ye that say today or tomorrow. We will go unto such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, ye shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is what? Evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, is him is sin. All right, we got a recipe here, don't we? What do we want? My ladies, you guys have that do the baking. Maybe you men do the baking. I don't know. Maybe you're in the kitchen baking cookies. But Lewis, I just can't picture that. But maybe you do. All right. You know, making the cookies, the tamales. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. About the furthest I go when it comes to um, any type of cooking or in the kitchen is the grill. I like the grill. I like the grill. It's fun. But I can imagine you ladies, when you get into the kitchen and you try to make some cookies, okay? Maybe you have some baking powder. Uh, You have some sugar. You got some chocolate chips. You got some flour that you put in there as well. You put some water in there. Maybe you put some milk. Maybe an egg. Maybe some butter. And you put all those things together, and when you get done, you got what? Chocolate chip cookie dough, right? Those are good, aren't they? Mom made some really good chocolate chip cookie dough the other day, didn't she? And you put them on the pan, and you throw them in the oven. And when they come out, voila! You have what? You have cookies! Woohoo! Right? Uh, Pillsbury Doughboy impression. How was that? All right. So you have cookies. Now, let's just say that uh, my wife, she decides that she's going to make her own recipe. And she says, no, I'm not going to put an egg in there. No, I'm not going to put any type of thing that I usually put in there. I'm going to put some pop in there. And uh, 
Maybe I'll put some, uh, forget the flour. Who needs flour? I'm going to put cornmeal in there, okay? And maybe I'll throw some butter in there. Now, when she comes out, are those cookies going to taste very good? Especially if she put root beer in there. Ooh. No, they're going to taste horrible. Why? Because she didn't follow the recipe. In the same sense, when you want submission in your life, when you submit to God, God says you have to follow a certain recipe. What are those ingredients to your recipe for submission? Number one, you have to be humble. Okay? If my child is a proud person and I tell her to do something, what's going to happen? I say, Chloe, you need to fix your dress. What should she, what would she say to me if she was proud? No, I don't have to, Dad. It looks good in the way it is. Chloe, pick up the thing off the floor. No, I don't have to, Dad. I'm better than that. That's being very what? That's proud. It's not very humble. In the same sense, when you stand before God and God has asked you to do something, but yet you're not willing to listen, you have become a very proud individual. In order to have submission in your life, you first of all have to be humble. You have to accept what God has given you and say, okay, God, this is where you want me to be. I'll do it. Abraham, perfect example. What did Abraham do? God says, I'm going to take you from the land that you know, and I'm going to send you a land that I'm not going to tell you about. How would you like that, Araceli? And that's what your husband told you tomorrow. Honey, we're leaving Chicago. And we're going to a land that I don't know of. You ready? What are you talking about? You don't know where you're going? No, God's just going to direct me. I guarantee Araceli might have a problem with that. I would have a problem with that. I get up in the morning... I know exactly where I'm going. I'm heading to downtown Chicago. I know where my first hotel is. I know where my last hotel is. And I get those routes done and I'm done. And guess where I'm going after those hotels? I'm going straight home. Right? Why? Because I have directions. But when we submit ourselves to God, we don't really know what God's going to do next. Right? We kind of have to have the same attitude as a child doesn't have that same attitude. When she gets up in the morning, what, is she, what does she do? she get in the car and drive to Chicago and do her hotels? No. Instead, she gets up in the morning and she waits for what mama or daddy tells her to do. What are you like? Are you humble enough to stand before a holy and just God and say, God, what do you want me to do this morning? Do you open God's word and say, I'm humble enough to submit some of my time to God? Are you humble enough to say, I'm going to submit some of my time for prayer? Are you humble enough to say, okay, God, I'm going to submit some time in ministry? Are you humble enough to say, I'm going to be able to sit and listen to a preacher preach God's word? Or instead, are you too proud to do those things? 
Are you not willing to say, I'm not, I don't care what's going uh, to be said at church. I'm not going to be there either way. I have too much on my plate. Should you say, oh, I am too busy in the morning. I am too tired. I cannot have my devotions. Or can it be said of you that I just don't have time to work soul winning? I don't have time to reach others for Jesus Christ. The first ingredient that you need to have for submission is humility. If you can't humble yourself, my friend, you can never become submissive to God. The second thing that's an ingredient that comes with submission is grace. The Bible says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith he what? Resisteth the proud. Read it with me in verse 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth what? Grace unto the humble. What is grace? Stephanie, give me the clinical definition of grace. I like putting Stephanie on the spot. Oh, he's over there on the phone. Oh, okay. It's very simple. It's actually an anagram. Yes. Okay, God's riches at Christ's expense. Can you des- can do you deserve grace? Do you deserve grace? No. Do you deserve mercy? No. But grace comes from one person, and who is that? Okay, let's go back to the definition. God's riches. Okay, at Christ's expense. So the only way that you can get grace is from who? Christ. Okay, so if you're going to be God, if you're going to get grace, you cannot get grace on your own. Where does grace come from? It's by living by faith. If you're trying to get grace on your own fleshly desires and fleshly appetites, you will never, ever become submissive to God. My daughter cannot listen to her father unless, right, unless she has a good relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you think Abraham, if he didn't have the grace to understand that God was in control of his life, could have gone all the way from the Ur of the Chaldees all the way over to the land of promise? I think not. What's the difference between you? Is God have something special in store for you, but because you don't have the grace to understand it, you won't do it? Grace is not obtained by yourself. Grace is given from God. So if you're going to get something from God, don't you think that you need to be able to spend time with your Heavenly Father? Grace can never be earned. Grace is only if you never spend time with God, how can He give it? You're telling me! You cannot obtain the grace that's uh, 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 possible for you to be able to submit to God's will if you never spend time getting the grace. Listen to me. God, He uses mercy, He uses grace all the time. 
But don't you think that God is more willing to give you grace if you're listening to Him? Don't you think that God is more willing to give you grace when you're taking care of things in your life every day and you're willing to say, okay, God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. Submission has to have grace in it. You cannot do it on your own understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Oscar, say it. the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thine what? Own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will what? Direct thy paths. We on the other hand want to take the verse and we like to change it up a little bit, don't we? Trust in hot in all thy ways. Lean on Hod's own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Hod and Hod will direct his paths. Just insert your name in there. I'm just using mine for example's sake. Oh, wait a minute. That's not how the verse says. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Leave not thine understand. You say, Brother Harold, I don't understand how to raise my children. Lean not in their own understanding. You say, Brother Harold, I don't know how to be able to overcome this sin. Lean not to thine own understanding. Brother Harold, I don't know how I'm supposed to minister. In the city of Chicago. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. I heard a preacher once say that he didn't ask he didn't have to talk to, to God about buying a car. I heard a preacher once say, I don't have to talk to God about buying a home. In the back of my head as a young person, I heard that and I thought, that's not right. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, In all thy ways, acknowledge him. What does it mean to acknowledge him? I'll give you an example. When I was going through dating, as a uh, 21-year-old person, and I was looking for my first love, I met a girl. I won't mention her name. But she was just wonderful. And I thought, oh, she's just a nice girl. My sister knew better, though. And I went ahead and had a date with her and didn't tell my father. And I came home on a Wednesday night, and my dad took me aside and said, Son, why didn't you tell me that you were dating? I don't know. Don't you think that would be something important to tell me? Yeah. And I remember thinking about that. And I had many dates after that. Not one time after that did I ever not tell my father that I was dating. I always asked him what he thought of the girl. If this girl was ever, after one date, if I thought this was something serious, I would say, Dad, I'm really interested in taking this to the next level. Would you meet this girl? I always introduced this girl to my father. And you know why? I wanted him to acknowledge him. Say, Dad knows best. Dad knows this person. Thankfully, my sister had more of a brain on her shoulders than I did. 
when I was first dating and that girl I didn't end up marrying. Because she was, let's just say, had loose morals. And I had to realize that God was in control. My father was put in my life and I should what? Acknowledge him. And guess what my father did? He directed my path. I would not have married my wife today if I wouldn't have listened to my father. And I would miss out on a huge blessing. I had to what? Acknowledge him. Now I'm using a silly illustration about dating. It's not silly, but it's the closest thing that I have. When you come on a problem, you come upon a situation that you don't have the wisdom, which is what? Everything. What do you do? You just plow ahead. Full speed. Or do you try to get God's mind on it? How do you get God's mind on things? Well, you can go to your pastor, right? What? Yeah, thank you. I need a Scooby-Doo impression back there. What? Right? We gotta have that kind of thing attitude, right? Wait a minute, Mr. Odd. Well, how do you get God's mind on things? Well, maybe you should read God's word and see if He's giving you peace about it. I miss you, Juan. Thank you, uh, Juan. That was really good. But God says. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct thy paths. And I am so over time right now. Let me go through these real quick. How do you also, how do you also submit? And one last thing. You draw nigh to God. You draw nigh to God. The Bible says here in verse, draw nigh to God, and he will what? Verse 8. Read it with me. Say it together. Draw nigh to God. Read it with me. Come on, folks. Draw Verse 8 of chapter 4, James. James 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw what? Nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. He what? Double-minded. How many has ever been double-minded? My wife, every time we go to, to go out to eat, she's double-minded. She likes certain things, but she likes other certain things. Honey, where do you want to go out to eat? I don't know. Right? How many ever been like that? I really want Chinese, but you know what? I, I like Taco Bell, too. Okay? So let me say, well, I agree with you. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. What should I do? Right? It's either or. I'm not really sure. That'd be what? Double-minded. The Bible says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify ye hearts, ye double-minded. You're either going to obey God, and you're going to listen to Him, you're going to acknowledge Him, and He's going to direct your paths, or you're going to what? Have no peace about the decisions that you're making. You're going to say, oh, why didn't I do this a long time ago? Right, Oscar? You married your wife? Amen? Should have done it a long time ago, Amen? Why didn't I do this a long time ago? How different my life would have been. God has got a plan. He's got a purpose. But when we reject God's plan, we reject God's purpose, what happens? Our life is out of control with peace, as pastors have been preaching. In all thy ways, admonish, or acknowledge Him, and He will direct thy paths. 
So, first of all, we obtain submission by what? Being humble. Second, we obtain a submission by grace. And thirdly, we obtain submission by drawing nigh to God. I have three other things. And because this is the end, I'm going to go real fast. I know I'm out of time. Steadfastness. Turn to James chapter 5. And we read verse 8. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Verse 11. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. And the Lord is very pitiful. Pitiful meaning what? Meaning full of pity or compassion or mercy. Pitiful and of tender mercy. So not only must you have submission, but also you must have steadfastness. What does it mean to be steadfastness? It means that you're not going to stop doing those things that God has given you to do. A lot of times Christian life is compared to a roller coaster. I remember the first time I went on a roller coaster, scared me to death, never got on one again. I remember going up the corkscrew in Cedar Point, Ohio. And if you know anything about the corkscrew, it's really tall, and then it just starts going like this. And I remember getting down, up, wherever you want to go. I didn't open my eyes to see. I just remember looking and going, ah! And the guy next to me, we got done with the ride, and I'm going, ah! And he goes, hey, we're done. Oh, I was scared to death. But you know what? The Christian life can be like that, right? We're all going, ah! It goes up, and then it goes, ah! All the way down. Brother Ralphie, I don't scream like a girl all the time, okay? You know? Is that what the Christian life should be? Or should it be even keel? Like an Amtrak chain, right? Like those big, fast trains, those bullet trains that are in Japan. Why? Because God says He wants us to stand steadfast. We also must have supplication. We must be going back and back again. You cannot get in on your own strength. Turn to James chapter 5, 12 through 18. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. It says in verse 13 or 14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elder of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, he shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another and ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and Prayed and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Listen to me, folks. You need supplication in three areas. What are those three areas? Actually, two areas. With God, you need supplication, you need help. Second area, in your church. I don't understand why Christians forget. Or abstain from coming to church. I don't understand how they can. Why? Because I understand the church is the most important place where I need to be able to get encouragement from my Christian brother. And it shouldn't be, my friend, that when you come to church, you're nothing but what? Discouraged. Okay? It shouldn't be that way. If you're getting discouraged, you need to get encouraged. 
The Bible says God encouraged himself in the Lord. But you know what? You got preaching. You got Christian brothers here in the pew. Encourage you. Sisters, if you want to say that. You have all kinds of things that can be a what? Supplication. Maybe I'm using a word that's a little bit strong, but let's talk about supplication. What is supplication? Well, the first time I remember hearing the word supplication was the word dietary supplement. How many ever heard of that? No? Okay. Supplication means help. Okay. We need supplication, not only from God, but from our Christians. We need, we need to keep going back again and again and again. As you see here and we find through these verses, what does it do? He gives every reason. You're happy? Go sing some psalms or psalms for that nature. You're sick? Go pray and ask God for help and healing. Go before the what? Church. Lastly, soul winning. Not only do we have submission, we have steadfastness. We have supplication, but we have soul winning. Turn to uh, verse 19 of chapter 5. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. When we come to Jesus Christ, our goal should be what? To win souls. It should not be that our goal is to win the what? The people who are not sinners because everyone is a sinner. Everyone's going to have problems. Everyone's going to have troubles. I remember a preacher saying one time that he did not want to see the church getting bigger. You know why? Because every time he saw another person walk into that back of that church that got saved, he realized there was all kinds of problems that came with him. All kinds of baggage. All kinds of issues. What does this verse say, though? It says... In verse 20, let him know that he which converteth a soul from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. It don't matter what has happened in the past, but what's going to happen in the future. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen to me. God is there to change the future for you. doesn't matter what you've done in the past. doesn't matter the issues that you've had in the past. God's ready to change you for the future. If you're willing to do these other things, submission, steadfastness, and supplication. All right, let's close in word of prayer. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for your word. We're thankful for where you've given us understanding. Lord, I pray that we would use this knowledge not for our own benefit, but Lord, we would use this knowledge, Lord, to glorify you. Please bless this church and bless those that come. In Jesus' name, amen. Supplication, two types. Your church and God. Helps. Well, you're going to find the help that you need to endure your Christian life. Endure.
sick. Kids are sick today. Yeah, we got Chloe with 